You're listening to the Trip of Change podcast, the Jackie Robinson Show. I'm Jackie Robinson. This podcast focuses on women in business, travel, tech tips, wise boomer chicks, because we know stuff, hot topics in the news. We stream live weekly on Facebook and YouTube. Let's start the show. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode, which is episode 22, I believe it is, season four, episode 22 of the Triple Change podcast, The Jackie Robinson Show. I'm Jackie Robinson, and I want to thank you and welcome you all to tonight's broadcast. I have a very uh, special guest tonight, and we will be talking to him very shortly. But you know how we do on the Triple Change. There are things that we have to do first, and one of the first things I need to do is give a shout out to our sponsor. That's right, Helpful Essence, a Caribbean soulful, soulful vegan vegetarian restaurant here in the Atlanta area at 875 York Street in the West End. And they have some of the most delicious food items and also healthy drinks that you can get there at Healthful Essence. And there are people who come from all over the world to experience uh, Healthful Essence. If you order online using the Clover app, you can get a discount. Again, that's our sponsor. We love them, Quadro and Princess over there at Helpful Essence. Thank you so much for your continuous uh, sponsorship to the Triple Change Podcast. All right. Thank you so much. Um, let's see here. Now, what I want to do is, let's see, I'm going to do that. And there is my guest, Cameron Cowan. How you doing, Cameron? I'm doing very well, Jackie, and yourself? Oh, I'm doing good tonight for a Wednesday. And I want to um, thank you so much for joining me on the Triple Change podcast tonight. Of course. Absolutely. I appreciate it very much. Um, But let me tell them, like, okay, who you are. Uh, (laughs) Now, it says that you are a writer, Mm -hmm. a thinker, and human being. Okay, now that's key. Human being. Okay, because there's some aliens walking around <laughs> on, this, on this planet. Okay, a human being navigating the streets of Seattle. Now I lived on on the um, what would you call that? The Pacific Northwest for a hot minute, but I never made it to Seattle. Uh, he writes for the Cameron Journal which is uh, a podcast, but his website has extensive information hitting all areas 
uh, for the millennials, for the boomers, for politics, for finance. You can go out to his <laughs> website and we'll share more information about that. Um, but he is working hard to explain our world. And that caught my interest when I read that. Um, he is the author of three books. Cameron, you wrote three books, boy? Mm-hmm. Three books. Okay. First book is What the Hell is Going On? A Primer to Our World in the Age of Trump. Cameron, I, you know, I, I kind of had that on the agenda, but then I said, no, I get too heated when I think about <laughs> I get too heated. Okay. I, when I think about the things I'm reading in the news about his freedom and abilities to do the things that he um, in, is doing, even though he's been impeached twice. Okay, I digress. Um, he wrote another book called Cast Iron, a novel. And his third book is a short story collection, um, maybe about a cookbook, okay? About <laughs> a, cook, a cookbook, all right? So welcome, Cameron. Let's wrap. Let's wrap. Give me a little sip of wine here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, we want to thank you for uh, being on tonight's show. I know I read your uh, bio and I read, um, so I listened to some of your podcasts. Um, and yes, I we're in the middle of season two right now. I've been talking about the TV show, Mr. Robot, how the West was won and westward expansion, high speed rail and the death of two door cars. So the death of two door cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's the death of, of I have a two door car. <laughs> I know. No, no. Like it's no, it's it, it's getting it's a lot less common than it used to be. Like um, <clears throat> when I was growing up in the 90s and 2000s like every sedan model usually also had a coupe version like toyota camry had a coupe honda civic had a all these cars everybody but as time has gone on they've kind of slowly gone away now on the luxury end you can still get them like mercedes still makes the bmw has sports coupes all that type of thing but if you look around on america's roads there's just a lot fewer two-door cars than they used to be even on the smallest cars no, no, there's fewer two-door cars because oh. even on the smallest models, they're always trying to jam in four doors. So I started the season with that and just kind of ruminating on how cars and car design has changed and all this type of thing. Part of it's fuel economy. Two-door cars are heavier than four-door cars. Um, and part of it's also, you know, safety because when you have four doors, you can add in a thicker B pillar. So... I didn't, part know, of it. I didn't know any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part of it's safety regulations, but a lot of it's just convenience, you know. So, and I talk about my own experiences with, you know, cars and all that type of thing. But yeah, so I, when I do the produced episodes, we just, you know, I just talk about all sorts of different things and bring in clips and other media. And so it's a lot of fun. So season two will be wrapping itself up at the end of August. So. Right. And, and my season <laughs> um, four is you're the last one for, for uh, series four. And then we're going to move into a whole different series um, for September. But at something that just caught my interest, you start talking about uh, cars. Uh, do you know about drifting? Yeah. I love to go. I would love to go to a drifting competition. There was a series. I think it was on Netflix. 
a competition of drifters from all around. Did you see that? Uh, yes, I, I had heard of it. I didn't end up watching it. But yeah, no, drifting's a lot of fun. <clears throat> However, it's only fun um, if you have the right gear ratios in your rear differential so the wheels spin and you're willing to buy tires often because it's very hard on tires. I so, would imagine all that spinning and all that, you know, tire burning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and, and you, I've seen, I know some of the Japanese ricer kids do it in front wheel drive. It's a lot easier to do with rear wheel drive. Um, I did, I used to have, I own two Audi A6s, which have Quattro and are all wheel drive. And I actually did get my one Audi when I turned off the traction control on about six inches of snow in Canada. I actually did get it to drift, which made me very happy. Okay. And it was a <laughs> all the yes. way around it. I was kind of like, this yes. is the only condition where I can get an all-wheel drive car to drift. This is amazing. Like, <laughs> so, but, okay, so yeah. Says, oh, that's on my bucket list. Uh -huh. That yeah. and voguing. I want to, at least once in my life, I want to do voguing. I mean, I think you just need to go to any gay bar in Atlanta on a Saturday night for voguing. And then as far as the drift competition, any motorsports raceway is going to have one at some point. So okay. I think you can I think you can check those off pretty quick if you look around a little bit. So okay. it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun, though. Okay. Okay. It's on my list, Cameron. It's on my list. But now, look, I ran across this quote. And this quote I'm getting ready to read, it really home and the quote mm. is where you said get out of your bubble mm -hmm. seek out people who are reasonable keyword reasonable mm -hmm. and are willing to talk and have a discussion mm -hmm. get off social media and talk to people real people about our world. And then you say, I try to start these conversations with the Cameron Journal, but we need more talking between people in this country. Mm -hmm. Now, before I start to ask you these questions, I must tell you how the Triple Change podcast came about. Because at 69 and a retired marketing executive, there's a whole lot of things I could be doing, right? I'm a boomer, but I also am open to discussions about other genders and other generations. So we got to talking about, I didn't understand uh, why the queers or the non-binary want to be called by a different pronouns. And then as we started to research, Cameron, the topics, because January, I think it was February, March, was totally dedicated to queers. Um, I, I, it's like, um, oh, did I lose my train of thought? Oh, it was, as a boomer, I want to understand. We Let's have a dialogue. Let's talk about it because there's so much friction. Some older people feel like this is the way we did it. This is the way it was and blah, blah, blah. And you can't change it. And you well, I change just it, yeah. keep living and, and just mm -hmm. and all of that. 
Then you have the other generations who are saying, you all broke it. It's your fault. You should have planned better. The planet is going to blow up because the <laughs> boomers didn't do what they were supposed to do. And the politics is all plucked up because, and see, so there's that divisiveness. Yes. So that's why I was interested in your quote. That's why I was really interested in talking to you and getting you on the show. Because that was the premise from the very beginning. Trip of change. We need to take a mental trip of change and better understand our young people. Because they are they are our future. So, first question. Mm -hmm. Cameron, how did you come to be and what influences did your early environment have on your life? How did you come to be? Well, um, I was I was born in in Denver, Colorado, um, city and county of. Um, I grew up in my childhood in Northwest Arkansas, and then I went to high school in Colorado and college in Colorado, um, and then grad school in uh, in Vermont, and. <clears throat> um, Politically, I grew up Republican. Um, I grew up in the suburbs. Um, I also had a unique situation um, in terms of I am biracial. My father is black. My mother is white. They did not stay together. And my mother married a white guy. So I was the biracial adopted son of two white people living in the suburbs in a state with less than 5% black people. Less than 5%. <laughs> yes. Less than 5%. Colorado is a very white state. <laughs> okay. And so, um, so uh, politically, I grew up Republican. I didn't really start moving away from the Republican Party until 2011 when I got involved in Occupy Denver. Um, and I started talking to people and seeing a whole other side of life and a whole other side of experience that I had previously been unknown to me. Um, I was lucky to grow up in a very economically privileged household. And um, I so I didn't really understand the day to day daily struggles that a lot of people were going through and what people were doing to survive and getting involved in Occupy Denver really just kind of brought that right to the forefront for me and that was really the beginning of my liberalism because then I was kind of like oh my goodness this not only like am I a millennial it's 2011 I can't find a job to save my life but the system has been broken for some time it's like this isn't even new like the right. system has been broken for a hot minute and right. that started and then all of a sudden people are just kind of like oh you need to like read this and see this and all this type of thing and I'm just getting involved in this whole new world that I didn't even know existed so um so that was that was a, an important part of that and that was when I started um really thinking about different stuff I wasn't really writing yet because at the time in 2011 I was producing theater I was a, a editor of a fashion magazine for three years after that and then in 2014 when wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute a, you yeah. were the editor of a fashion magazine yes yes Oh. And I covered the, the, the Denver Art Museum had an exhibition of the collection of Yves Saint Laurent. And I was able to go as part of the press tour and cover that. We did a six page spread on that. Great photos, all this type of thing. I got to meet his partner, Pierre Bruges, 
Um, and I was also able to meet the curator of the collection, who was impossibly French. She was great. Um, fabulous, fabulous. Yes, yes. And so, I, yeah. And then I, I also was the executive producer of Denver Fashion Week, which is now the biggest fashion show west of the Mississippi. You were um, the executive producer of Denver Fashion Week? Yeah, I recreated Denver Fashion Week 2012. Denver had never had a full week-long fashion week before. And in 2012, we pulled that off. Five different venues, six different days, 45 designers, 35 models. Oh, my and an God. And an Project army of hair. Project Runway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and an army of hair and makeup people. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, on the final night, we had about 2,000 people in a venue that only really could accommodate about 400 people were watching the show from the sidewalk. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and we had a lot of media, especially Spanish-speaking media from our Latino community in Colorado, which is so large and so vibrant. Um, all Say this type of thing. Español? I'm sorry? Say hablé español? No, no. But I, I mean, going from Colorado, I really should have. But uh, no, it was it was great. We had a, a one of we had one of our designers, Gabriela Martinez, was quite connected in that community, and she brought in all this wonderful Spanish speaking media, and they really just took us to a whole new level, um, which was really great and wonderful. So I didn't even once I kind of Occupy was over. I was in fashion, so I wasn't really thinking about politics. I was covering fashion and lifestyle and all this type of thing. Um, and then in 2014. I started the Cameron Cowan show, which was just kind of a YouTube talk show. And it was just kind of me talking. Um, and then that would eventually go on to become the Cameron journal, which is now what we have today. Right. So um, yeah. So I, I started, I started writing politically in 2014, 2015. And then my first book, what the hell is going on um, includes uh, three new essays that I wrote for the book but a lot of them were long pieces that I had posted online. I re-edited, added in some new research. My essay on genetically modified foods was read over a quarter million times on Medium by a prominent, um, as because it was picked up by a prominent publication talking about agriculture and farming, all this type of thing. And I, so I took all that content, mushed it together in my first book, and that was my that was kind of a compilation of the beginning of my writing politically and educating people politically and all this type of thing. Okay, so um, so so yeah. but so but what has motivated you to do these to do these things? Like you talked about several different industry industries, politics, fashion, you know, yeah. and so that you're very diverse in that you're able to touch on a lot of different things. I mean, so so like as a young person, what motivated you to go in that direction? And also at when you're while you're answering that question. Can you kind of pull in, pull into there this thing about learn to say no before you say yes because that's part of your growth. You know, you have had to say no a lot of times in order to get to those yeses. You know, in sales they say, you know, you got to go through the no's to get to a mm. yes. Yep. So 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 talk talk about talk about that. Yeah, so my something that could motivate other young people, um, you know, to do more. Yeah, so I, I always the the learning to say no before you can say yes thing for me is really important because I 
have done a lot of things. I'm only 34 years old. I've worked in fashion. I've been an actor. I was a musician because I'm a classically trained flautist. Um, I've sang on television. Um, I grew up singing in choir, high school, you know, orchestra. Um, when I was 19, I was teaching orchestra, performed Mozart Concerto in D major movement one for flute and orchestra, um, all this sort of thing. And when you are like a quintuple threat, like that there's a lot of opportunities out there and things to pursue and things to audition for and all this type of thing and sometimes opportunities will come to you it's really easy at least it was for me when I was younger to say yes to everything trying to find my thing what would fit for me what would take me to success and in many cases what even would be financially stable like that's one of the things in the arts is you can do a lot of crazy very visible things and still manage to not really get paid for it um which has happened to me a lot okay. so um it's really important for you to evaluate each situation and decide is this for me is this my focus is this the next step in my evolution yes or no and when you answer that question then the doing of it whether you should or should not becomes clear and actually becomes effortless as far as my motivation goes i was really just looking for my thing i graduated undergrad in 2009 grad school in 2011 i got my master's degree when i was 23 years old um and I was originally going to go to law school and become an international lawyer. And I wanted to work at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. And um, yes, and the market for lawyers was really bad in 2011. And my advisors at Norwich University said, if you can do anything else that does not include going to law school, you should probably do that. Because it was saturated. It was saturated. Yes. And to some degree, it still is. Um, and I'm not sad that I didn't go to law school for sure. Um, and so I had been freelance writing and marketing myself and other people by this time. Um, and so I decided to pursue that. And that then led to writing more, doing fashion editing, doing other magazines, all this type of thing. Um, that, uh, you know, that kind of breaking out of academia, law school, all that type of thing, and kind of going into arts and marketing kind of enabled that and more really fun my, my, stuff. Yeah. Yes. 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 More fun stuff. Right. Yes. Much more fun than, than law school and international right, which law. Which is heavy. It could be depressing yes. and just, yeah. And very esoteric. Very esoteric. Very I mean, esoteric. you you haven't lived until you've really sat down and read the general agreement on trade and tariffs, which is the treaty for the basis of the world trade organization. Real thrilling stuff. Um, and, uh, um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so that I was just kind of looking for my thing. Um, and I didn't really land anything that really, I mean, I, I did a lot of great stuff, but it kind of came to an end and nothing really ever came of it. Or it was negatively affected by other people who made decisions that were not necessarily in my favor. Um but see, and, that happened to a lot of millennials that came out of out of college. It, yes. Like for, for us, for boomers, you know, we were able, especially coming out of the 60s, you know, we had the civil rights movement and some other laws in place. Corporations yeah. were uh, more liberal and open to hiring uh, African-Americans. So as a boomer, we were able to get jobs 
uh, making money to be able to provide for our families. And our hope, Cameron, was that after um, sending y'all to high school, sending y'all to college, that you would be able to go out um, and increase that level of success beyond what your parents and your grandparents had done. But yeah. in 2000 and what, four, yeah. six, eight, ten, twelve, the shit hit the bottom. And you poor kids couldn't find a job. If there, if it was a job, you were mistreated on the job. They didn't want to pay you on the job. They didn't want to give you benefits on the job. But at the same I, time, no, no, if you're yes. desperate, you know, yeah. if you're desperate because let's say you couldn't go back home and live with your parents, you know, or your parents like, you know, you're a bird now. You need to fly on your own. It was tough. And so no, I I'm I my I have a book coming out continue. this October on that. Yeah, no, I have a book coming out in October called America's Lost Generation, where I tell the story of millennials and I tell real life stories from real people who've been through the ringer over the last 10 years. And of all the responses I received, the only person who said that they felt like they'd had a normal early career was one. I got 35 people wrote in. One person was like Actually, my life has been fine if you want to talk to me anyway. Even the people that are doing well, like household income at six figures, all this type of thing. The first thing they say is, we are one emergency or illness away from losing everything. Mm -hmm. Like, that's being in your mid-30s today. Compare that to, like, my parents' generation. So my mom is 66. So right. let's subtract 34 years. That right. puts us in the... She had me when I was 32. So let's put this in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. Completely different situation. And and people like my mom didn't necessarily have the greatest thing. My mom graduated high school in 74 and was going out into the economy in the mid to late 70s. Not exactly a great economy to graduate out into. Um, and then she was living in Colorado, working in commodities. The price of oil crashed in the mid 80s and they laid off the entire building. Yeah, Not the department, the right. entire building. Right. Everyone left and that Enron. was it. Enron. Yes. Yes. Enron. And so, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was really tough times, but even that, what she went through economically was better <laughs> than what like I faced and other people like me faced in the late aughts and the early tens. Right. And so it, it's a very different, it's a very different dynamic. And I think, I think the real tragedy for people my age is not only are, you know, not only are we going to be in big trouble as we get older and start to try to retire because we have no money. Right. But um, we, you know, the, the consumer economy on which our country is based is going to falter because again, the money's not moving. The money's not moving through the economy. Like economies only function when there's when liquidity turns. and there's when it yes. Turns, when it turns. Yes. When yes. It turns. Right. And right now, the bulk of our nation's income ends up in the hands of wealthy people who put it in banks, and that money never moves again right. until they die. Right. And that and that ends up, you know, we live in a country where our national GDP is. 17.4 trillion dollars per year of our national wealth millennials control only four percent and two of two percent of that is mark zuckerberg just okay, mark okay. zuckerberg okay okay so now that leads me to my next question mm -hmm. because cameron with all that's being said all right i want to know 
Why are young people so sensitive and so angry? You know, you read about story after story where they can't control their emotions. I mean, it's like there was something in the water because whatever we taught, because we boomers, we went to church. We went to church. Okay. Or we sang in the choir. We participated somehow and we took our kids to church. All right. Um, And so there was that spiritual. Now, not, not to say that I necessarily agree totally with organized religion, but that spirituality that allows you to connect to the inner man can lead you in that different directions and calm you. So why, why are young people so mad, Cameron? Well, I think simply put, um, th- I'll become a Barack Obama for a second. Three things. Um, <laughs> one is thanks to social media and the internet, we are hyper aware of the problems in our world and the problems in our country in a way that was not true when we all sat down and watched Peter Jennings give us the evening news in the 90s. Or okay. Tom I think that's a big part of it as well. We're we're much more aware of, hey, the Europeans have a much better deal over there when it comes to free college, universal health care, stipend for children, you know, paid leave, all this type of thing. People are, because of the internet, are hyper aware that other countries do it differently and we've kind of been screwed over. That's the, So that's hyper awareness. Number two is the economic devastation. When you're living in a constant state of precarity and near poverty, that's going to cause an emotional stress response that's going to manifest itself in incredibly unhealthy ways. Um, and that is, I think in communities of color, it's different because we've been living like that for generations. Right. So we're kind of used to it a little right. bit. <laughs> you know? Right. As, right. I, as I said, when we were talking in the pre-show, my father is one of nine children of sharecroppers. They bought their land in 1947 and sent their kids to college. The glow up was real for them. And that land and that wealth completely changed the lives of our entire family in a way that is not oftentimes true for other African people. A lot of other people, that's South. correct, right. Yeah, and you know, and my father ended up being a semi-professional baseball player and did a lot of really great things with his life that his great-grandparents who came off the plantation couldn't have even dreamt of. And my life for them is completely just, a, you know, a fantastical, magical thing. But, but, um, see, but see, Cameron, let me just inter- uh, say something here. With a God-given talent, you know, because there, 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 there was this thing about superiority and inferiority, okay, mm-hmm. and when and we grew up uh, with the saying that we could never be as good as we weren't smart enough, our brains were smaller, all kinds of shit we heard. Low IQ, okay? yeah. Um, yep. but for your father to have a God-given talent mm-hmm. that was recognized, he recognized it. And we have to say he recognized it because he was able to use it to better not only himself, but his family. Now, a lot of people are born with God-given talents. And so that that tenaciousness, is that me dinging? Yes, I believe so. Okay, I'll have to pause so I can edit that out. Um, (laughs) That tenaciousness was, look, sounds like it was instilled in you. Yeah, I mean, it was something where I, I mean, I've always been 
someone who's tried to, you know, work hard, put out the extra effort at whatever I could, I could do. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, different people, you know, have, have different things, but that's, I mean, but, you know, to that kind of point is if you don't come from a culture that's used to working twice as hard to go half as far, (laughs) you know, like us, all this type of thing, you're going to get that angry emotional response. So, and then you have the third part of why, you know, kids are so sensitive and all this type of thing is, so we have awareness, we have, you know, precarity, which causes an emotional response. And the third part, I think is the most important part is that socially speaking, over the last, we'll call it 20 years, socially, this country has changed very fast in a very short period of time. So the 1960s was a crucible where things changed a lot. I mean, between 1950 and 1968, we started to undo Jim Crow and got rid of miscegenation laws and got the Voting Rights Act. I mean, a lot of change in a very short period of time. We changed culture from being focused on adults to being focused on children. Between, let's say, 2000 and 2022, we have gone from never acknowledging gay people on television Ellen DeGeneres came out and it was a huge national scandal for three weeks to having gay people on television to having a very popular game show all about drag queens. I mean, this was, if you told us in 1998, one of these days there's going to be a drag show competition reality show on television and it's going to be popular the world over, we would have laughed in your face that, and just that that will never happen. But in 2022, that's our reality. Um, you know, we're go we're in a place now where not only have we had a, a black man as president for eight years, we have a woman of color in the vice president's office. Yes, yes. Which means the last two Democratic administrations have included a person of color of at color. some point. Yes. That's, I, I mean, if you told us that in like 1996, that one day a, a, a black woman from California was going to be vice president. <laughs> Just yeah, go to 2000. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah, we would have been like, that will never happen. Yeah, I mean, that will never happen. Yeah, I mean, Michelle Obama was fully prepared to comfort Barack when she thought they would lose in 2008. Like, she was not convinced they were going to win. And I think she was equally surprised when they did it again. Like, right, you know, right, so, right. like, because it was just so out of our eye idea that that could even be happen and i i love this quote that kamala harris said the night they won she said i am the first but i will not be the last uh-huh. and that is that's that's a lot so i mean when we look at the the progress the social progress that has happened in the last 20 years it's massive we don't talk about it that way but we really should it's massive and so when we talk about sensitivity and cancel culture and wokeness and all this type of thing i think part of the problem the struggle where people are is that we have massively changed the social life in this country in a very short period of time and we're all trying to adjust to it I mean, you, I never, I mean, no, none of us ever thought we were going to be talking about our pronouns or having them listed in our Twitter bios even five years ago. Or 78 was, of them. 78. Yes. Like, that was not on anybody's radar, you know. Or the fact that it doesn't stop at LGBTQTIA+. There's some P's, another P, there's some T's, yes. there's another A. Yeah, I mean, now we have, a. yes, I mean, now we have asexuality, demisexuality, pansexuality. You know, we're, we're defining ourselves and narrowing down our preferences in new, interesting, exciting ways that just 
really what I mean when I was growing up I mean I'm bisexual and when I was coming along because I grew up evangelical in the church Southern Baptist I didn't even know like bisexuality existed in my world growing up there was only two options you were straight or you were gay one was good one was bad it was a very binary sort of thing so like even that like for me like discovering the B in LGBT that was right, you know right. news you know so I mean so I, I think I think the reaction to a lot of this stuff isn't a reaction to people. It's a reaction to a lot of social change in a very short period of time. And humans don't do that well. They Usually don't do the that only well. No, the only time where you can change society very quickly in a short period of time is usually during a time of war. And the trauma of war kind of covers up the social changes and allows things to happen that otherwise might not have. Exactly. And we have we have had massive amounts of social change without a nationally traumatizing conflict because Iraq and Afghanistan didn't affect enough people. So we've had a lot of social change in a very short period of time. And so I always encourage people to be kind. Like if someone, you know, misgenders you or uses the wrong pronoun, be kind, be polite, explain, especially to our older people who are not used to this at all. This was never a thing they had to learn, did not exist when they were young, all this type of thing. Now, if they're doing it maliciously, well, you can tell them to go bugger off in the corner. Well, but, yeah, that's, that's um, a whole but if someone story. if someone comes with the intent of kindness and they they want to be your friend, they're not trying to hurt you. They're just trying to catch up to the language. Try to show some kindness to them because that's an important part of cementing this incredibly important social change. Absolutely. And it was one of the things that we discussed, Cameron, in in in, a, in the uh, first few episodes of 2022. It's like, you know, how do you introduce yourself? You know, that mm -hmm. even that has changed. You can't just say, hi, my name is Jacqueline. You yeah. know, um, I learned about the difference between binary and non-binary. You know, do I? And so it's like, you know, how do you introduce it? You, do you say, hi, my name is Jacqueline and I identify as yeah. bin binary? I mean, I think it would, I mean, I don't think you necessarily have to go that route. Like, so like when I'm, I'm currently um, a master's of fine arts and creative writing student at Goddard College. And usually how we introduce ourselves is we introduce ourselves as like our name, uh, and our preferred pronouns. So I would just say like, hi, my name is Cameron Cowan. I'm a G4 creative writing student in fiction and my pronouns are he, him. And for me, I don't necessarily mind doing the pronouns thing because some people get confused because I have long hair. I tied it back for the show. But like I have long hair. I carry a giant handbag, Michael Kors, darling. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, okay. and all this type of thing. So sometimes people, and I'm, and I'm a big dude. So like sometimes people get confused and they're kind of like, so you have long hair and a beard, but you also carry a purse. Like, what's the story here? And I'm kind of like, I, this model comes fully equipped. I'm a cisgendered male, like pronouns he, him. Like, like okay, it, cisgender, cisgender. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, and which basically, like, if that that means like you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. So, like, I was assigned male at birth because my model comes fully equipped, and that's how I identify. Other people may identify differently, and that's where it's good to be able to have that introduction of somebody's pronouns because then you know how to properly refer to them. 
And sometimes some people really are not comfortable with he or she and prefer they, and that's okay. And, and I had a learning curve. I had a friend of mine who had non-binary friends. I never met them, but when she talked and told me about them, we always referred to them as they or them. And okay. it got me in the habit of doing it. And I was very bad at it at first, but well, it got me in the habit goes, of doing it. And it well, was good. It was good practice. Back to the, the, your original quote where it, you say, get off of social media. Mm-hmm. Get out, start mm-hmm. talking to people, start yes. meeting people. Get Absolutely. Out, get, because that way you can create history and memories. And yes. then you'll know the next time how to interact or how to respond or how to introduce yourself. Well, or, and and you know. politically, yes, and politically, I think it's good because I think oftentimes. You know, if you're if you're standing around with the same people hearing the same thing, all the problems are with them over there. It, it's it's you end up othering your fellow citizens. Whereas, whereas if we were able to go out and have conversations, we would discover, as I have done, oftentimes you will have more in common with the other side than Absolutely. you think. Everybody wants to have, you know, live in safe neighborhoods and have their kids have good schools and all this type of thing. A lot, most of the things that actually materially matter to people's lives are not really that partisan. Most of the fight, political fighting in this country happens on the fringes of things that don't really matter to the material conditions of most people. And so when we have those conversations and we start figuring out, oh, yeah, maybe my neighbor did support Trump, but there's actually some things we agree on. That's when politically we start to form that more perfect union the founders said that we should form. I mean, I had I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, okay? Very um, known for its racism. And I was at a writing residency there, and I was staying in a, an antebellum plantation house on the river. Oh, Jesus. And, yes, and I had a very productive conversation with a lady who was a single issue abortion voter. And we had a very, we had dinner together and a productive hour and a half conversation where abortion was discussed. And we left with a smile on each other's faces and both commented on how good the conversation was. It's possible. Right. If you're willing to talk to reasonable people who are willing to have a good discussion in good faith, you right. can have those conversations and it can be incredibly productive. And you, neither of you may change your position on the matter. You right. probably won't. But having that conversation to be kind of like, that's another person that some cares about some things that I do. And there's this one area where we disagree, but we can still come together and still be okay with each other. Absolutely. That's, that's one thing that social media has really stripped out of the national conversation. Right, because you're hiding behind a keyboard. You're mm-hmm. hiding behind a fake name. Okay. Yes. And you can write whatever you want to write. Although there's your IP address. If they want to find you now, they can find <laughs> you. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> but it's that, that, that level of hidden being hidden that sometimes give people that, that alcohol, uh, what'd you call that alcohol boost to say whatever they yes. want to say? But now, listen, Cameron, yes, liquid courage, yes, 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 liquid <laughs> courage. That's what I was trying to think of. But now, listen, the world is changing, we, we know the world is changing and not necessarily for the better. When you look at world politics, when you look at world science, when you look at the environment, when you look at the oceans and the water, you know. Uh, um, drying up, you know, 
the fires. Okay, so and so you if you follow the news, you hear all of this going on. However, I believe as a boomer, Cameron, that there has to be a movement, either underground or above ground, of young people who are having a positive impact, not all this negative, negative stuff, but the ones who are having a positive impact on their communities and are seeking real change. So last question, how do you see the world in 10 years and what three things, what three things can boomers, me, a boomer do to help young people have a better world? Yeah, so we're thinking about the world of 2032. Um, 2032? You said 10 years from now. Uh, It's 2022. Oh, okay, 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 okay. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot how old I was. (laughs) Yes. Yes, so we're thinking of the world of 2032. And I think, I, I think the, you know, I think we have we have some uphill battles in this decade. Um, in the United States, we're facing a very real threat from basically autocratic Christian theocracy. Um, and if you want to learn more about that, um, my book uh, comes out in October, where I'll have an essay about that that I worked on with the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Um, the threat from the Christian right trying to overthrow our country is very real. Um, so that's a, a hill we have to overcome and the American people are going to have to come together in a very hard way beginning in the midterms this November and reject that entire notion and put that out. Um, as far as the world goes by the beginning of the next decade, we'll start to see more of the effects of climate change. Um, and for not better atmosp- or worse? probably for the worse in some areas better in others. There's a lot of focus on atmospheric climate change. So when it comes to getting carbon out of the atmosphere and putting less in the atmosphere, we'll probably see the early effects of our activities on that kind of for the better. However, there's a lot of areas we aren't focused on where things will get measurably worse. Um, One is in terms of the ocean food column. We are extincting whole species of plankton as we speak due to chemicals mostly from agriculture flowing into our oceans. One third of the planet relies on aquatic protein as their primary source of protein. If the oceans die, we will not be far behind. Um, We are also killing our land food column with insecticides. Um, We have far fewer insects than we used to. I was recently driving across the country. When I was a little kid, the front of my car should have been absolutely covered in bug guts. I drove 8,800 miles coast to coast. I cleaned my windshield once. So, um, yes. So when it comes to ecology, the systems that keep nature going, if we don't start making moves on that now, 10 years from now, we're really going to start to see that effect. We don't have to wait. Atmospheric climate change doesn't really start to hit till the end of the 21st century. We'll both be dead. That's for our children and grandchildren. Um, When it comes to the oceans, when it comes to insects, all this type of thing. These are things that will start to affect us this decade and will really start to hit at the beginning of the 2030s. So that is a 
that's something where we're going to have to have some radical shifts in how we produce food, agricultural policy, what chemicals we allow, all this type of thing. Um, I think socially, we've moved ahead a lot. So we're going to need to pause and reflect. It's like the election of Nixon in 1968. The 60s were nuts and we needed to have a pullback to conserve kind of conservatism and figure it all out what had happened we're about to that point you know so i don't have great hopes for the democrats in 2024 um i have higher hopes for the midterms because they've passed some good legislation and they've done some great things but i don't necessarily think that we're gonna get two terms out of joe biden um because he's so unpopular um uh so, I mean, I think we have, you know, that that to deal with as well. Um, I, I mean, I think there's cause for optimism. Technologically, the next decade will be very exciting. Uh, I mean, tech, the stuff that's coming down the pike in terms of smartphones and VR and gaming technology and all this type of thing is very exciting. And I think that will be tremendous. Um, the renaissance that I'm seeing of American manufacturing... Um, or at least North American manufacturing, it taking place in Canada, the United States, or Mexico, due to the new NAFTA treaty that Trump negotiated, all that type of thing, bringing silicon chip manufacturing back, bringing back, you know, all these things that we found out during the pandemic we really needed. Um, That could, that will not only be great for the labor market, it will be great for our national resilience. It will be tremendous for the economy. And that will really hit its stride towards the end of this decade and the beginning of the next. So I think that's good. There, there's, there's definitely some concerns out there. Um, I think we're going to see more pandemics, not fewer. I think we're going to see more changes in weather, not fewer. Um, I think we're going to see more ecological changes, not fewer. But I also think there's causes for optimism and hope. In the last 20 years, we've reduced the amount of people living in poverty on this planet by 80%. 80%? And that w- Yes. In, in 2000, there were the, literally the majority of the global South lived on less than a dollar a day. Today, that's down 80%. Like the lifestyle of humans today on this planet is the best it has been in recorded human history. Well, I mean, there's been some sh- some shifts because even though, you know, they may be making more money, shit costs more. So, of so, course. But I mean, yeah. but here's that's that is a bigger problem for us in developed countries. In the global south, if you were subsistence farming and you're now making a small wage and you're not subsistence farming or you're farming for an agricultural surplus, your life is measurably better. If you now have access to health care, food stability, prenatal care, you're not having to have eight kids because three of them are going to die looking at you, India. You know, if your women are getting educated and your birth rate is falling, your life today is better than it was 20 years ago. Absolutely. And so I think it's important for us in these conversations to kind of keep the perspective of it may not seem great now and we have a lot to do. I've written a whole book on the things we need to fix, but we've come a long way yes, from we where have. we were at the Millennium Goals in 2000. And if okay. we look back, you know, even farther to the, you know, back to the 70s and all this type of thing, there were parts of this planet that were unreachable, you know, with modern medicine or things like that. When we eliminated smallpox in 1975, they had doctors in Jeeps going into, you know, tribal Africa, you know, 
inoculating people. And nowadays, those people have more access to better health care and all this type of thing than than ever before. And so I think that is there's a lot to be optimistic about. We have some challenges. We have some things to solve. Climate change is obviously the biggest one. Geopolitically, things are shifting and changing. We didn't talk about the war in Ukraine, but things are shifting and changing. Geopolitically, things are getting interesting. Climate change is obviously going to be a huge something that we as humans are going to have to adapt to. But there's also a lot of really great things coming along that are going to make the next 10 years really interesting. And so, so, so I'm so, so, so the young people it. are underground, above ground, and they're thinking about these things. Are they running for office or are they doing it in a different kind of way? No. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. So one of the things I've noticed, particularly as my generation, I'm mid-cohort millennial. So if we define millennials as 80 to 95, I'm 88, so I'm in the middle. We're about hitting the age where we can really start running for office. Um, like a uh, AOC, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, I think was 28 when she first ran. We're starting to get to the age now where we can start to run for office. I mean, we look at our uh, Pete Buttigieg, our first gay cabinet member, is also a millennial who's also ex-military. AOC is in a millennial. All this, I mean, Pete Buttigieg, I told people, I said, when he ran for president, I said, Pete Buttigieg will not win. But take notes because that's what a millennial president will look like and sound like and be like. That's okay. it. Like, that's what a millennial president will be. He should run in 2028. Like, you know, sort of thing. So, I mean, I, th I think we're, we're getting there. But I also see wonderful things like people are forming mutual aid networks where, like, you know, like Asusu in the Black community, you know, people are pulling their money together to help somebody in need. That's wonderful on the ground work that's helping materially the needs of working people. That's great. Um, I also see how, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and all this type of thing, it's young people who are hitting the streets with signs, confronting authority, speaking truth to power. Okay. So I think it's I think it's there. I think the coordination is happening differently than it used to. I think the coordination is happening online and is then spilling out into the street. Okay. I think people are focused on material conditions in a way that, was not necessarily the case in like the civil rights movement. So I guess what I'm saying is people are doing it. It just looks different. We're not necessarily marching on the bridge in Selma because that's not what we need to do right now. Well, so, 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 so is it then because as a boomer, you know, we, we've already been there, done that. Right. Right. And we're in our golden ages to where we retired yeah. and you know, however, much money we have in our pension and our social security if you if you didn't if you didn't leave out of there with bukus of money then a lot of people are just living on their social security but we're talking about boomers and right. so the cost of living in the united states has gotten to the point where a lot of people can't afford it and so yeah. they're leaving boomers boomers expats i mean i didn't know i yeah. had never even heard of the word expatriate or expat until yeah. I reached my 60s into my you know and so the thing Europeans is have been doing it for a long time it's been very common for people before Britain left the EU um to retire from the UK and move to Spain where the cost of living was cheaper right that's and that originally why people moved to Florida and Arizona because it was cheaper to live there not than New anymore York or else. Not anymore. Now they're moving to Mexico, Costa Rica, Belize is very popular. That's the right. ABC Islands off the coast of Colombia. Yes. Yes. Colombia, yes. Panama. Yes. 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 Uh, uh, I've been to Costa Rica. I talked to a girl uh, two weeks ago in Nicaragua. You know, and so yes. I think, I think 
it's easy for boomers to say the hell with it. We watch it, yeah. what's going on. We see yeah. the reversal of things that we fought for. And we just yeah. saying the hell with it. We out of here. Okay. And so until that happens for a lot of us boomers, I, the question is what as what can we do as boomers to either help y'all or just have a better understanding? Be patient. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, okay, I would say if there's a, a I would, understanding. I mean, I mean, I think I think having a level of understanding, particularly on economics, is really helpful. Um, I think you know, not not blaming millennials and Gen Z for their economic plight is important. Um, but I mean, also like if there's a mutual aid network in your neighborhood, contribute, you know, if you have a resource contribute, you know, if you have, you know, a, a, a bit of land in your front yard and you can plant some fruit trees that are free for people to eat from, try to do something like that. Um, oh, good if you, idea. you know, if you need a volunteer idea, food banks always need somebody to come down and do some shopping or pack a bag or run a delivery or whatever have you, you know, so if you're able-bodied enough to do th something like that, that's a great thing to do. Um, and, and if you're not, that's okay. Much love to you. Um, and, but, and if that, you know, if you can offer, if you can offer wisdom, if you can offer encouragement, um, things like that are all incredibly helpful. And I think actionable things the older generation can, can do to, to help us out and just, you know, be available, be empathetic, be sympathetic. That goes a long way as we try to fix what has happened since the election of Ronald Reagan, and we try to undo the crimes the of big spreadsheet. Remember, we call that the yes. big because they made a spreadsheet, Cameron, and they've been <laughs> following that spreadsheet. The mm -hmm. very got too many people on the planet. Okay, we need to wipe some folks out. They've been looking at the spreadsheet. Oh, yep, sorry. right. It's it's oh. it's a planet ran by Excel. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, and possibly a very poorly coded access database. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, I used to teach access. Okay, <laughs> and Excel. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So it it's yeah, there, but there's. I mean, I would just say like like I said, you know, if there's a mutual aid network, get involved. If you want to set up a free library for your neighborhood because you've got a nice corner lot, do do that sort of thing. I mean. I, if you look around and look for areas where you can help people meet a need, solve a problem, and you can contribute, even if it's just a small way, then do so. And honestly, like if you have an extra dollar, five dollars, contribute that to your mutual aid network, contribute that to a food bank. You got a bunch of food in your house that you don't need because your family is coming over as much. Take that down onto a food bank where it can help somebody in a material way. And that's what I think can do the most. But also, like if you're the, if there's an opportunity um, to vote in a positive policy in your community, do it. So when the city comes along and wants to build an apartment complex in your neighborhood to provide more housing for people, as much as your reflex may be to be kind of like, oh God, the character of the neighborhood is changing. Where will all this type of thing vote for it? Let's be, the, be that person that speaks out and says, yes, we need more housing in our community. So let, let us do tear down those four old houses on old road lane. And let's put, yeah. Yes. Right. And let's put up good apartments there for people. Like, you know, when those moments in your, in your town, in your city come up where you can add to the housing stock, materially help people, be that person that speaks out. You know, if you're retired and need some place to go, 
hit up a city council meeting. I always tell people more governing happens at the city, county, and state level than the federal government does before 8 a.m. So if you're retired and need to get out of the house, hit a city council meeting. You'd be surprised what the city council's up to. Um, and so... <laughs> But like when you even when you even if when you get your ballot and it says, hey, we want to build some housing units in That's your neighborhood, right. vote for that. Be a yes in my backyard person, because oftentimes the reason we don't get housing built in this country or the reason we don't get mass transit is because the neighbors in the area don't want it. Right. If more older little people that do yes, kill the whole thing. Yeah. But now, yes. look, Cameron, I got to go, baby. I know, I know. Yeah, I look, look, I so, so appreciate our discussion and this meaningful dialogue. Oh, this, this has been delightful. You're great. We yeah. call it rapping, okay? Yep. This is what we call yep. rapping. And um, as a retired boomer, okay, I done been through the trenches, okay? I wish you much success on all of your endeavors because I read about your boy. I read about your bio, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, and we must, we must get you back on the calendar and do this again, if you're willing. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. It was absolutely delightful. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a great night. Be well. Okay. Yes. Be blessed and be well. Thank you, Cameron. Bye-bye. <laughs> do you want to stay in the green room? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, okay. Have a little after chat. All right. Hold on. All right, you have been listening to the Triple Change Podcast, the Jackie Robinson Show. I'm Jackie Robinson, and I appreciate you so much for listening. And if you all want to know what wine I was drinking, <laughs> I was drinking Castello del Poggio, Italian Smooth Red. You can find it at your local groceries. It is so good. I had it, I think, a couple of weeks ago. And I decided to bring it, bring it back. Um, we had the most fabulous time talking uh, to Cameron Cowan. So go on out there and check out um, his website. You can get information about him, the Cameron Journal, Our World Explained. He's on Instagram, but we encourage you to go to his website to get all of the information. And here's our information. We'd like for you to support our podcast. Sign up at TripperChange.com, Instagram, TripperChange. And also, you can send an email to podcast at Trip of Change. Thank you so, so much. Oh, also, I want to uh, remind you all that starting in September, we will have a new series called Wise Boomer Chicks. We know stuff. Okay, so be on the lookout for the announcements for that. That's coming up. Uh, I'm saying a mouthful. I'm just so delighted I had Karen on the show. Because as a boomer, we need to understand these young people, where they're coming from, and where we can lend a helping hand. So again, thank you, uh, Cameron, for being on the show. And uh, until next time, that is it for today. <laughs>